So glad to see everybody here just to warm up the space together, right? Thank you for bringing that body heat with you. Um, well, today um, I'm going to preach on 1 Corinthians 13, and I think, um, like you heard in the song, and we're kind of confused about 1 Corinthians because we hear it at weddings all the time. We think of it as kind of the wedding verse. This is about being married, and it's just so much more than that. It's a description of God's love. And um, as I was thinking of this, I was, hey, have you ever experienced this where sometimes a song, you hear just a part of a song, like a song came on when I was driving, and just the first beginning of it took me right back to a moment in my life, just right back to there, it was right in front of my face. And it was, it was kind of an odd time in my life, it was post-college, I'm sitting on a couch, I have a picture of it, sitting on a couch in this very expensive bar at the ski resort where I was working, um, I'm wearing a black, white, and rust turtleneck that I thought was the pinnacle of fashion. Um, yeah, my very long chestnut hair is in a very loose bun. I'm uh, smoking because everyone smoked and so I smoked. You know, what better reason for that? Um, and also, my biggest talent at that time was that I could blow a smoke ring th through a smoke ring through a smoke ring. Yeah, so, yeah, very, a lot of talent that college gave me. Um, so. I am laughing in this picture, and I'm looking at my best friend, Patty, who I had a lot of love for, still do. Um, and if you took this picture at face value, if you just put that, you know, posted that somewhere, you would think that I was very happy, very, very happy. I was young, I was thin, I was healthy, I was a college graduate, I had a great job. Um, I was living in a ski resort, I was surrounded by my friends from college, and yet, as I remembered that moment, um, I was thinking how absolutely worthless I felt at that time. How I felt like I was not enough, I was not performing, I was not achieving, I was not what everybody else wanted, I was unlovable, I was always looking in your eyes to see your reaction to me as rejection or acceptance or whatever. Um, and I dressed myself to be cool, um, which is always a changing thing, isn't it? Like, how do you know what that is? And I said what you wanted me to say, which meant that I was always kind of in this, in this um, I was an actor in my own life. Um, and I was a Christian. You would think, well, she just needed to find Christianity, right? No, I was a Christian. I'd been a Christian since birth. But I believed that only God, God only loved perfection. God only loved me if I could be good all the time. God only loved me if I could live to this ideal of 1 Corinthians, if I could be, you know, non-arrogant and patient and, um, you know, all of the things that that describes. I remember my youth leader in high school telling me, if you could just insert your name in there, like Mary Lou is not arrogant, Mary Lou is all these things, and that's what you should be. Whoa, I knew I could not do that. So I was feeling like I was in a hostile world. Um, that was always judging me because I couldn't be that. So this self-loathing, this self-justification, kind of the self-sabotage around that because I knew I could not live up to that ideal, that Christian ideal. Um, and then another song popped on, Unbidden, and that was Paul Simon's You Can Call Me Al. I love Paul Simon, just saying. Um, and it's that why am I soft in the middle now? Um, the rest of my life is so hard. I've got a short little tan of a span of attention. I don't know if you remember that song. Um, and I realized that girl on the couch is still living in me, still hearing those voices, right? Those voices of condemnation, 
those voices of not enough, because now I'm aging. Um, the judgment of gravity and time just pulling down on my body and my mind, making me feel older. Older is not cool, right? Who can love old? Well, God can love old. Um, but those, those voices of saying that I can't live up to that standard, right, of 1 Corinthians, still live in there. I'm still very much in need of grace every single day. So the question at the center of all this ruminating is, can we love ourselves despite the evidence of our imperfections? So the great commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. So we do love our neighbor as ourselves, which means that we rarely love ourselves, and so we rarely love our neighbor or accept our neighbor. We judge ourselves harshly, so we judge our neighbor harshly. We take on God's judgment. This is one of the great conundrums of Christianity. How do we love ourselves? It sounds ludicrous to our ears. Love ourselves? Isn't that selfish? Who does that? Aren't we supposed to be self-forgetting, self-giving, self-emptying? Well, in my pastoral care and therapy work, this is the most glaring and painful of Christian misunderstandings, that we should hate ourselves. We are nothing without God. That is true. We do need to repent. We do need forgiveness. We do need God. We're nothing without God. But we are not nothing to God. Self-hate is not practicing humility. Self-hate or self-loathing is a form of perfectionism gone awry. Ego on parade. We hate ourselves because we feel we should be better not have these imperfections. We fear that we were made wrong or born unwanted, not in God's plan of perfection. And perfection in the Bible, that word actually means whole, whole. Not without blemishes or imperfections, it means whole. So we're made whole by Christ. We compare ourselves to others and we want what we imagine that they have, assurance, confidence, love, success. But we're only human. We don't get above human no matter what are our achievements, our knowledge, our possessions, our strength, our excellent good works at the soup kitchen, or all of our abilities. That's what this 1 Corinthians is telling us. So Brendan Mannon, in his beautiful book, Abba's Child, writes this. We unwittingly project onto God our own attitudes and feelings toward ourselves. As Blaise Pascal wrote, God made man in his own image, and man returned the compliment. Thus, I, if we feel hateful toward ourselves, we assume that God feels hateful toward us. But we cannot assume that he feels about us the way we feel about ourselves, unless we love ourselves compassionately, intensely, and freely. In human form, Jesus Christ revealed to us what God is like and how he loves us. He exposed our projections for the idolatry that they are and gave us the way to become free of them. It takes a profound conversion to accept that God is relentless, tender, and compassionate toward us, just as we are, not despite of our sins and faults, but with them. Though God does not condone or sanction evil, he does not withhold his love because there is evil in us. 
So hating ourselves is hating the gift of the particular life that God has given us, right now, right here. It's a form of sibling rivalry with our fellow humans, vying for more of God's bounty that we see others getting. This is as old as Cain and Abel, or Jacob and Esau, or you and me. In fact, I was thinking yesterday when I gave my dogs their treat, it is my, the bigger dog always looks to see how big her treat is compared to the other dog and then takes the bigger treat, no matter what. So it's dog eat dog, right, in the world. We're always looking for that. At the suggestion of a congregational member, I've been watching Nine Perfect Strangers by Leanne Moriarty, who is one of my favorite Australian authors. So nine seemingly perfect strangers perfect in the way that they present to the world, pay an exorbitant amount for a 10-day transformational wellness um, retreat at a place called Tranquilium House. Now, you know what a wellness retreat means. Smoothies, right? Smoothies and fasts and all kinds of things that they go through. Um, The woman that runs it is called Masha, and she is played by Nicole Kidman with kind of a very cool demeanor that she has. But everyone has a backstory, right? Everyone has a backstory, a hurt or a wound that they're protecting, that they're hoping that this will transform. Without the repentance, without the forgiveness, without God, but to come and drink a smoothie and find that. Um, The romance writer has no romance in her life. She can't expose that. The ex-football great is an oxy addict, not as strong as he would appear. The lottery winner feels worthless has no purpose. The Instagram influencer believes she is unredeemably ugly. The parents who feel guilty and inadequate because they've lost a son. The sister who masks her pain with indifference. So Masha promises to fix all of them, make them the highest versions of themselves. But of course, the plan goes awry because Masha is really just using them. She is also broken. She is also in need of that fix. And when we see ourselves through others, we forget that they too suffer from hurt and woundedness, a feeling unloved. Only God, who is the generator of all love, who made us, can see us clearly and dearly in these eyes of one-way love toward us. Like us, those nine are not perfect, but they're not strangers to God either, and neither are we. These are the two traits that God loves most about us, that we are imperfect and therefore in need of him, and also that he created us and calls us by name, calls us to his repentance, his redemption, his love and acceptance, his freedom. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love never ends never fails. You see yourself dimly in this mirror of self, but God sees you face to face. You are fully known and loved by God. You do not need to hide. As, as Brendan Manning says, come out of the shell that you've built around yourself to protect yourself into the open of God's love. Your knowledge, your wealth, your number of people you count on your Facebook feed, do not make you loved. You are loved for being. The love of God will never fail you because you cannot fail him. 
The mind-blowing cosmic mystery is that God made himself human, went through all of that as Jesus Christ to show how much he loved us to the point of death on the cross, binding our wounds, your wounds, to his wounds in forgiveness. So lastly, I have a story that um, has always been very meaningful to me in a time where I could not understand this idea of self-love and also um, love from God. It's about the difference between self-centeredness and being a steward a steward of the self that God has given us, the steward of God's gift of life. So there was an old jeweler who wanted to make a gift for his beloved child. He found a unique stone, an old stone, a nothing stone, and he tumbled it, tumbled it, tumbled it long into a beautiful sheen with all its characteristics and imperfections. He mounted it in a setting made especially for the finger of his child, And he made a box for the ring and wrapped it with a bow, waiting for the right time to give it to the child. As he does, the jeweler watches as his precious child does not open the gift, hands it on to another, leaves it. The jeweler of his course is, of course, God, and the ring is your life. We allow others to open that gift and tell us what it is instead of our creator who loves our imperfections because they drive us to him, because the gift is from him. Amazingly, as we realize the love God has for us, which is grace, which is a gift, not based on our goodness, but on God's goodness, this love that St. Paul tells us about in Corinthians, that as we have that grace. We love others. It comes through us. It's an overflow, grace upon grace. God's love flowing through us, coming out through the cracks, the imperfections, the wounds. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. So may you know his redemption his forgiveness, his grace, and his love today through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.